internet We love a chat We love to help and that's a fact So we have made it our mission to find stuff out From diagnosis and education Slimming out of pure frustration Chat to folks who've been there too Collect it together and share it with you If you know someone we should speak to Send it our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory matters You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here. Hope you're well. Um, today we are doing our kind of mid-episode one where we discuss the previous week, which is really interesting this week. We'll come on to that. But we've just got Katie today. Hi, Katie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Jenny? Yeah, really good. good. It does feel a bit odd because Lorraine's usually with her, with us, and so there's a bit of a, a Lorraine-shaped hole. <laughs> there is a bit. <laughs> yeah, but poor thing's not very well, and we're absolutely insisting that she she does nothing. Although I doubt she'll do that, but we're hoping she rests properly and yes. then we can get her back. Yeah, get well soon, Lorraine. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so um, what? did you take away from last week's podcast? So just to summarise to everyone, last week's podcast was Denise um, and she's from Arizona or maybe she's not from Arizona, but that's where her organisation is. And she set up First Place, which is an amazing place. It's like a community for a range of, um, I don't know, a, a range of characters and people that are maybe using it as a stepping stone to moving on to independent living or that's just somewhere they're going to hang. It's really interesting. What did you take away from it, Katie? Oh, I loved this podcast. I think it's probably one of my favourite ones that we've done so far. It was so interesting. I would urge anybody to go back and listen to it because it's it's just amazing. Um, it was a really interesting conversation. I just learned so much about how to set that up. I was really inspired by Denise, the fact that she did this all sort of with the team and herself and she just was inspired to do this it was incredible to hear her story absolutely and I guess it's something that loads of people either people on the spectrum themselves or people with children in that position that there is this kind of question mark can can people live independently is that possible yes yeah and I just I really felt for her when she said that the reason that she did this was out of fear she was scared of the of what was going to happen when she could no longer care for her son and that she was just not willing to um to put up with the uh, with the options that were already there she wanted to create her own and and that really hit me because i was sort of like oh gosh you know she did this out of a place of you know because you often hear people say oh i did this because i really wanted to achieve this or it's always sort of a positive thing but she was very honest and said no i i did this because i was really really scared yeah absolutely yeah and that and really what i love is that she's that they've thought about everything they have thought about everything from every type of individual and what their needs might be to whether they're going to be a long-term resident or someone that's got it as a stepping stone. And then the courses that she does as, as well, which help people learn the key life skills to move them towards that independent living. Yeah. Yeah. It was so clear that she had thought of every minute detail. And I think that's what I was listening to it. And I was like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I want to go and visit. It was just everything yeah. was just completely she hit the nail on the head like from the materials that they used in the apartments to make sure that all the sensory um aspects were there and that nothing was overwhelming to just everything it was oh it's such an amazing podcast to listen to I was just completely in awe the entire time yeah absolutely and what's your thoughts on independent living and and how how we move people along that progression to get them 
there. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because everybody's so different and mm. it is it can be a journey for everybody. Um I tend to say to a lot of people, independence is something that can come naturally to a lot of people, but for a lot of people, um it's not something that comes naturally and we do have to actually um put our heads down and work at it like we do with any other job. It's it's something that we have to work towards. We have to keep training our brain to do. Yeah. Um, but I think the really interesting thing, and I think we were discussing this a while ago, weren't we, Jenny, about the whole sort of inclus- inclusive environment, um, yes. is that we were having this conversation about is um, having an independent living centre that is sort of just for people with uh, autism or extra needs, is that further segregating them or is yeah. that helping them to actually integrate into society? And it was a really interesting conversation that we were having, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because that that was when I, in advance of doing this podcast, that was my concern when when I was going to interview her is was, was she maybe going to make things worse by segregating people out? But the way that she's particularly handled it is totally not that because she gets placements for people to do jobs in the local area. She helps them get the bus routes into town and she encourages that integration and wider society if it's appropriate for that individual yeah definitely I loved when she was talking about how um she was thinking or if she was combining um some elderly residents with the residents with special needs and actually not creating like a segregated community of only elderly residents or only residents who are learning to be independent. She was actually sort of working to combine things and actually having a a society almost and a community within uh, the uh, living facilities that are full of lots of different people and and people who are there for different reasons. Totally. And, And out of interest, how independent would you class your life? Oh, that's a tricky one. I feel like I'm on the road to maybe getting there, but independence is something that I find is the hardest thing to deal with when it comes to my autism in particular, because um, I often say, I don't mind that my autism affects me, but I find it really difficult to deal with it when it affects other people. Okay. And like living at home and not being able to to do certain things that I know realistically are quite simple to other people and that are easily done. Um, mm. it, it does make me feel a really, that's the thing that really makes me feel quite down and quite low because um, it, it, I can see the effect that it's having on other people and I can see almost people, um, you know, I have to ask for help. I have to um, to get people involved with sort of seemingly simple things. Um, so give me an example of a seemingly simple thing oh talking to people on the phone you know I have to constantly ask my mum to order my repeat prescription for me and that's sort of every month or so I can't physically pick up the phone and and do that and you know I I try my best I try and do it but something as as simple and and easy as that for some people I I need to ask my mum my mum's help with um you know you know basic cooking um, I'm just about conquering the cleaning of the house now. So I'm feeling a little bit more independent with that. But um, being able to get out of the house and just, yeah. it's And this is what struck me about what Denise was saying. There was one thing that she said that really, that hit me because she was saying about how she wanted to have um, options for people. Mm-hmm. And she was saying about how um, a lot of people who have extra needs, special needs, autism, um, they're being dragged around to places that their parents are going. And I was like, 
Yeah, because I'm doing a lot with my parents and I, I feel like I'm 22 and I'm almost living the life of a of a 60, 70, 80 year old sometimes. Yeah. So when she said that, it really, it really hit me because I was like, I do need the option. I do want to be able to do things that an average 22 year old is doing. Yeah, yeah, but 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 harder for you to do it. Yeah. So that that brings us on to which is linked your sensory matter for this week. It is yes. Okay. I wanted to discuss happiness. I thought this would be a really really lovely thing to talk about because I believe that happiness for someone on the spectrum is often different to happiness uh, for someone who is not on the spectrum, and it's sort of defining what that happiness is, and. Um, you know, so like happiness to me is quite simple. It's just, you know, maybe being able to cook a meal by myself or yeah. uh, being able to uh, go to the shops by myself. That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me feel um, really good about myself. But maybe someone without those those difficulties, happiness is, is a much bigger thing. It can be uh, traveling. It could be getting an amazing job. It could be, you know, much, much bigger things. But and I think, you know, social media doesn't help with this either. We see a lot of people going off and doing amazing things and we feel like we have to do those things in order to be happy. Yes, and it's it's sense checking yourself that that is people's edited highlight reel. Yes. That's not every single day for these people. Mm, definitely. And it does make you feel like that, doesn't it? Why am I not doing all these amazing things? Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I had a moment where I, I'm a, I love being at home. I'm a home bird. I, I just enjoy being here. I, I do like traveling, but it's very difficult for me. And um, it's not something that I have this massive craving to do. But I see all my uh, the people who I follow on Instagram, maybe friends who I had in college who are doing gap years and going off and traveling around Europe or Asia. And I'm like, wow, they look so happy. Would that make me happy? And I sort of think about it. But um I just think, no, I'm, I'm too much of a home bird. I'm happy, I'm happy where I am here. And it's, I think society tells us a lot of the time what happiness is. Yes. And we often get swayed by that. Yeah. And I think happiness is something people chase. Yes. And I don't, I don't think it's something you can chase. It's not a goal to reach. Mm. It should just be a here and now. Yes. And, and it's not a, I will be happy if I could manage to travel and be independent and, um, go and see Asia, then I will be happy. No, 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 it shouldn't be like that. It should be, you know, I, today I'm doing this and that makes me happy because otherwise you miss the today and you're constantly focused on reaching that future happiness, which is always out of reach, Definitely. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's I see loads of quotes about finding happiness um, mm. when actually I always say, you know, happiness is something you create. It's not something you find. It's something that you get from yourself. You can't expect another person to bring you happiness or something else to yeah. bring you happiness it's something that you have to to give yourself really um, yeah. and it's something we do a lot in the sensory support group on Facebook we we often every week we ask people to reflect and make sure that they're still remaining positive about maybe something they've achieved that week if it's just the smallest thing we say look you know give yourself a pat on the back um, yeah it's really important to reflect and think you know what what has made me happy today uh, or this week um so you can keep a positive outlook on things yeah absolutely i i think it is it's happiness is your choice and state of mind at that moment yes yeah um and and you you know no matter what's going on you can choose how you're going to look at it 
or how you're going to view it. And that affects whether you feel good about it or bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love a quote that is from, we're getting very philosophical today, Jenny. We really are. <laughs> but I love a quote from the film Eat, Pray, Love. It's one of my favorite films. And um, in there, they say, you have to pick your thoughts like you pick your clothes every day. And it's. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I really like that. Eat, eat, pro. eat pray, love. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to look that up. It's a very good film. I like yeah, cool. Okay, so I think we'll, we will take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what have we seen in the community or any news bits that might be interesting to talk about. Back in a minute. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about this week's special offer. Throughout March, you can get a bubble bangle free when you buy any necklace from our website, www.chewygem.co.uk. Simply add your bubble bangle and your necklace to the basket, type in the code bubba, and you will get your bubble bangle for free. And don't forget, if you need any help and support, you can join our Facebook group, the Chewy Gem Sensory Support Group. Now back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So we were chatting about uh, with Katie about the podcast last week and independent living and happiness and all those things and getting all very deep and philosophical, um, <laughs> which is lovely. And we've kind of decided it's your choice whether you're happy. It's a state of mind. And if only it was as easy as that, because yeah. that's easy said and sometimes hard done if you're having a rough day. But in general, I loved Katie's quote of you have to pick your thoughts like you pick your qu- your clothes, which she got from a film, which I think is just bang on. Anyway, um, so the other thing that we're going to talk about is any interesting news or chat that you've seen on the internet this week. Definitely. Well, we've got World Autism Awareness Week and Month coming up soon. And yeah. uh, we've got a lot of buzz going on in the community at the moment. And one of the things that always comes up at this time of year is a debate about the puzzle piece, the autism mm-hmm. puzzle piece and the logo. And everyone always likes to share their thoughts at this point in time. And we've got a lot of stuff going on in the community that people are discussing this and having uh, open conversations about how they feel about the puzzle piece um, and just their thoughts, because it is a little bit controversial at the moment. And yeah, people are yeah, having... It always seems to bring that controversy, doesn't it? It does. Um, it's that time of year again where people... It is. This. <laughs> you know what? In, in, in a way, that's good because it's getting everybody talking and that will raise awareness. So it's all good. Exactly. Um, so yeah, what what is the controversy? Why people get so you know bogged down in the puzzle piece well there's a few things really the first is um the main thing i think is it is associated with some organizations that don't necessarily help the community or a lot of people are feeling like uh, their actions they're sort of negative actions so we've got um it's associated with with negative organizations and negative people um okay. but we've also got sides of it thinking that um people think it's too childlike Um, that it doesn't represent the adults in the community um, especially if it's sort of the primary colors that we often see we often see the reds the yellows and the blues and um, Mm -hmm. people do think it's childlike but the other thing that people often say is um, it it represents as if um, autistic people are puzzles that need to be solved or worked out and Mm -hmm. um, because of that people think well I'm, I'm not something that needs to be fixed 
I'm not broken. Mm-hmm. I'm not a missing piece. I don't have pieces missing of myself. Um, and it can, it does spark a very big debate. But on the other hand, lots of people do really, really like it because if you turn that on its head, um, a lot of people think that autism, you know, getting a diagnosis was the finding the missing piece of themselves. Yeah. So a lot of people do resonate with it in that way. And um, so we see a lot of different opinions and we do have people who are very much, uh, they resonate with it and it sort of really appeals to them. But we have a lot of people who, who really don't like it as well. I know. You see, from a, from a, a neurotypicals view, looking in, um, I I quite like it. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Um, be, because I, I think, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way at all. I hang out with and know an awful lot of people on the spectrum and chat to them all the time, and each one is so different, and a jigsaw puzzle is different and you only get the true picture of that when you do complete the puzzle and you and so for me it represents getting to know someone understanding their unique traits and who they are just like you would anybody else oh, yeah um, so I, I it it kind of resonates with me but equally I've heard people say that I think did it start out as always being a blue puzzle piece and then that was seen as a bit of gender bias as well yes it did start off as being blue um it was there were two things really with that yes it was the gender bias and then it was also um you know people associating blue with with a negative kind of emotion with feeling sad with feeling lonely with you know and and autism isn't always like that autism can be fun autism can be positive so um and that's why we see lots of movements around World Autism Awareness Week that involve colour. People are, um, you know, uh, red instead or go for gold or lots of um, people trying to say, you know, autism isn't about being blue all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, people like the blue as well. It's, it, it is very sort of, I guess it's like art. It's, it's subjective and how you feel and, and it's on your own opinion, really. But it's really interesting to hear your, your views on it as neurotypical. It's really interesting to hear what, what you have to think of it um, being outside of the community. Yeah, but I can equally understand why people would think I don't like being associated with being something that's got to be fixed. I totally get that. Yeah, um, I, I, I think everyone in the world is a puzzle. It takes a while to figure out everybody. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So what what's the solution? What is the the best symbol to represent autism or is it just too personal and too unique that it's impossible to hit on that well we do have we still have a lot of people who do choose to use the puzzle um people who who have adapted it maybe in color uh, or in shape and style making it a little bit more modern or a bit more um minimalist or sort of adult like so that it can represent a lot because the puzzle piece i guess one of the really important things to remember is the puzzle piece is so universally known um, mm-hmm. even a lot of neurotypicals or people who don't really understand a lot of uh, autism related stuff um, mm. see the puzzle piece and they do recognize it as an autism symbol so um, it would be a shame to lose that instant connection that people have to it um, but we're seeing a lot of the infinity logo now which a lot yes. of people like um, yeah. and we're seeing you know the NAS have recently changed their logo to be a little bit more inclusive um, and not really to have any kind of fixed meaning uh, it's just sort of a nice yeah. symbol and, and, and it's got the spectrum of colours hasn't it yeah. which I guess represents the spectrum as well mm. yeah we're seeing a lot of rainbow we're seeing a lot of infinity um, I um, I think I saw a while ago and I actually did a video I think it was this time last year about uh, butterflies 
being mm. a really lovely symbol because having different coloured wings and different shaped wings and um, and unique markings exactly. and yeah, so um, mm. one like that. So um, so we are seeing new logos coming in um, that people are identifying with, but um, I think it's going to be very very hard to ever stamp out the puzzle piece completely i think we just need to rework it maybe rechange and um, get people feeling more positive about it yeah absolutely and and i think that um it's the the downside to all this debate is that exactly what you said there is rightly or wrongly an association a recognition with the puzzle piece and if we blur the lines and introduce infinity symbols and rainbows and butterflies and all the rest of it then we're diluting that instantly recognizable banner that says hey we're raising awareness here for autism yes yeah Um, because then it it blurs the lines as to well I, i see that symbol but i don't really know what it means whereas or what it represents whereas the puzzle piece rightly or wrongly is is strongly associated with autism yes and that can be a huge huge positive um, because um, in many respects, if you show a puzzle piece, it does a lot of the talking for you because it initially, yeah. you know, it brings up the conversation of autism. People instantly know that that's what it represents and that's what they're reading about or watching or seeing. Um, yeah. So it, it can be quite a positive and, and helpful thing in many ways. Yeah. Now I'm going to confess something which is really embarrassing. Oh, um, here we go. Really, really embarrassing. I know. So, you know, um, gay pride. Yes. And then you've got all these other something prides. Yeah, yeah. Right? So there's um, autism, autism pride as well. Um, so I, there'll, there'll be an interview coming up um, in a few weeks with them. Um, but do you know what I thought? Just because gay pride for me was the first pride thing. So I had just associated the word pride with, with sexuality. Yeah. And so whenever I heard for a long time autistic pride, I thought, oh, it's aut- autistic people who are um, gay, who are proud about it. Yeah. And how crazy, now that I know that all it is doing is saying, I'm proud of being gay, I'm proud of being autistic, I'm proud of whatever the other things that have pride on the end of it, I feel like such an idiot. But on the other hand, it's it's funny how that gay pride was just so strong that the word pride and the rainbow colours I associate with gay so maybe I'm not so stupid but I do feel stupid because it took a while for the penny to drop on that one no I think I've I've seen a lot of people who have who've done the same um I went to uh, Cardiff Autistic Pride last year and a lot mm-hmm. of people were like well is this for autistic people who are straight as well as autistic people who are gay or yeah. LGBTQ plus so yeah it was I think a lot of people do and that I think is a brilliant example of how a a symbol and colors and a word can so strongly represent a community totally that it is universally known now um i think yeah. it's a it's a really great example of how something like that can travel and can impact and can affect the wider world um in a way that is it's huge yeah absolutely yeah so yeah, all very interesting. Oh, that's, defi- the that's definitely another conversation for a podcast. I feel is the connection with the LGBTQ plus community and the autistic community because there's a huge crossover there, and that would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, we should so do that. We will do that. Um, okay, so moving on to our listeners' question of the week. This one has really got my grey matter going. Um, so it's asking, what is the difference between sensory seeking and stimming? Really good question. 
yeah. yeah it's and it can be quite complicated as well it's a bit of a tricky one because they do overlap so much so where do we start so in I think I'm probably going to have to explain this from my point of view, but I think it's important to remember that everyone's experiences are very different. But I would always associate stimming and stimming in my life is always um, repetitive. It's a repetitive movement or action. Um, It's something that you do over and over and over again in a rhythm um, Mm -hmm. to soothe, to self-soothe. Whereas Mm -hmm. sensory seeking to me doesn't really have to be done in in a rhythm or a pattern it could just be um fidgeting in a sort of sporadic way that isn't a, it's not a rhythm it's not rhythmic it's not repetitive it's not doing the same thing yeah. over and over again um but they are both and this is where the the overlap comes in they're both types of a, of a craving your body is needing something and they can, yeah. and they can overlap you know fidgeting uh, that could be a sensory seeking from a tactile point of view. But if you are fidgeting in a way that's repetitive and that is, you know, over and over and over again, the same action or movement, um, yes. that could be both sensory seeking and stimming. Okay. So something like the need to have pressure and weight and the use of maybe a, a weighted vest or a blanket would be more sensory seeking i would class that as sensory seeking and not stimming um from my own experience there are ways that you can stim with sensory aids and a lot of people do choose to um have sensory aids to help them with their stimming like um tangle toys fidget toys uh, stress balls um but there are some sensory aids like just like a waist blanket or a pressure vest that it's very difficult to actually stim with yes so yes, but they are they yeah. they overlap a lot. It's an interesting. Question. So I wonder, I wonder where chewing fits into that then, because that could fit into both as well. Couldn't it, it can, yes. And before I started working with Chewy Gem, before I started being part of of the chewing community, I always thought, well, oral seeking, chewing, it's just a side of of sensory seeking. But when I entered this community, I realised, oh, actually, it can actually be a form of stimming as well because it can be quite repetitive it can be done in times of high emotion high stress high anxiety um so it that is probably chewing is probably where the crossover is most heavily um yeah because it can be both so is it a case then that stimming is usually done perhaps in a reaction to a situation where it causes you to need to ground yourself and self-soothe and regulate. That's how I describe it to people. I say it's almost like the reset button. So yeah. if you're in a situation, and, the, and a really important thing to remember about, about stimming is people often associate it and say, oh, people stim when they're anxious or stressed. But mm. people actually stim a lot when they're happy and excited as well. So it can be both negative and positive um, situations that cause stimming. Uh, but I do think of it as being like you've entered a situation or you're in a situation where something has caused heightened emotion or a response in your body and your body just doesn't, your body and brain don't quite know how to process this. So it's almost like I describe it as when you get a blue screen on your computer or something just shuts down and it almost you have to reset your body and your brain and the way that a lot of autistic people or people who stim choose to reset um whether that is a conscious decision or unconscious um it's it's stimming doing these repetitive motions um repetitive actions just to help ground themselves like you said and just to kind of bring them back to uh the ability to process what they're going through yeah 
So is, is it important to understand the difference between the two? Is there a benefit to separating them out? I don't really think so. I say a lot that it's very important to recognise stimming, especially if you are a carer or a parent of someone who stims, because stimming can tell you a lot about how that person is feeling. So if you recognise that someone around you is stimming, you can kind of look around the situation and be like, okay, is this a negative stim? Are they um, sad, anxious, angry, uh, nervous, upset? Or are they in a a situation that's positive? Um, Are they excited? Are they happy if they've just been given really good news? Are they looking forward to something? Um, So if you have someone who's non-verbal in your life or someone who struggles with emotion, uh-huh. stimming um can actually be a way of um of, of showing emotion and being able to interpret emotion so I think it's really important if, especially if you're a carer or a parent to recognize stimming in in somebody else to be able to say oh how is that person feeling um uh-huh. and that can often give you a lot of good clues but apart from that because they so heavily link and because a lot of the times they do come together um, mm. I don't think there's a, a real massive advantage of being able to tell the two apart. No, no. And I suppose that they're, they're, although different, but with the crossover, they're, they're, they're both seeking the senses. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, and satisfying a need. Definitely. And it's important to yeah. remember that um, stimming and sensory seeking are both very positive things. Um, people do think, how do I, how do I stop my child? We see this a lot in Chewy Gem, don't we? How do I stop my child from chewing? How do I stop my child from doing this? How do I stop myself doing this? Um, when actually what we tend to do as a community is we, we redirect. We don't want to stop, but we want to channel that energy into something safer and more positive. Um, and it's the same with sensory seeking as well. Um, they're both hugely positive things that can be the difference between being able to cope in a situation or that situation being very difficult for someone. And is it something, because Lorraine quite often puts up a quote from the mighty saying, um, stimming is, I can't remember, stimming is something but like breathing. Stimming is like breathing, just as natural, just as important. Um, You know, you can't live without breathing, So, and people that need to stim need to stim. Um, So is is it a case that if that is curtailed, if you're prevented from doing it because someone's trying to stop you from doing it because they don't see it as socially acceptable behaviour, is does that then produce kind of an eruption, a volcano effect if, if you try and restrain it? I think it, I think it could. Um, I am not a huge stimmer. I stim in situations, uh, but a lot of the times I don't actually really realise that I'm stimming until someone points it out. Um, but I definitely would think that by the nature of stimming and how it feels to me and also how I know that it feels to other people um, that stopping that could actually be much more um, detrimental than than just letting it carry on Um, you know if it's stimming can often be uh, self-injurious as well because our bodies aren't equipped to do the same things over and over again you know I always give the example of clapping you know if you clap all the time your hands are eventually going to get sore And it's the same with every aspect of stimming. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are times that it is going to be um, potentially unsafe, potentially causing injury. And in those situations, it's probably best to try and redirect. But redirection, it's really important to know, it's not taking that away. It's 
re it's removing that energy and rewiring it and reworking it into something that's much more safe and positive so you still get that feeling of stimming you still get that that relief um but you're just doing it in a way that's much more safe um, and maybe sometimes much more socially acceptable yeah and by 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 embracing stimming you're probably going to get a more of a consistent line of normality behavior because those feelings are being met um so yeah rather than having peaks and troughs of emotions if if someone can regulate through stimming then they're going to get a a kind of more consistent line of behavior and comfort does that make sense Yeah, definitely and it's the same with the sensory diet just what you were saying about the peaks and the troughs a lot of people do sensory seeking um to have this sort of much more level um emotional wavelength i guess um yeah but yes it's a it's really good and I often say to people about um I've just completely lost my train of thought it's gone completely gone <laughs> have one of those days <laughs> not to worry well I think I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover today yeah. so that's been really interesting from deep meaningful chats around happiness puzzle pieces independent living and the difference between sensory seeking and stimming so hopefully everyone's got something away from that yeah definitely um so yeah, I think next week is our World Autism Awareness Week podcast, and we have got Indy Andy on. So that's a good one. He's just lovely. I've got so much to say. He's awesome. I will look forward to that one. I I know Indy Andy well. He's a great guy. So I will look forward to that. Yeah, you feature in the podcast. You are mentioned, but I'll leave that as a surprise. Ooh, I will look forward to that. <laughs> um so yeah so that's us for this week so thank you very much for listening hope you've enjoyed it we're hoping next time the the three of us are back together and Lorraine's feeling better and she's back um this week please do if you get a chance leave us a review because it helps us raise our ratings and other people can then find the content um and if you want to keep getting content like this then hit subscribe as well and you'll never miss an episode And if you're not already a member of the Chewy Gem Sensory Support Group on Facebook, go find us because in there you can let us know what you thought about our episodes. You can put questions to us for future episodes, as well as just hanging out with a real cool bunch of people that are in a similar boat to yourself that can offer loads of support. So thank you very, very much, Katie, again um, for today. And we'll chat in another couple of weeks. Brilliant. And thanks to everyone for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.